Today's scripture reading is Matthew 5, 31 through 32. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. What else you got? Just joking. We'll do this one. All right. Uh, hi, my name's Tommy, and uh, we're going to talk about one of the passages that's been used to oppress people for a long, long time, and why it says what it says, and uh, and is there some context to it? It's a great question. Thank you for asking that question. There absolutely is context, and I'm going to talk about it now. Now, this is hard to explain, um, and I'm going to do my best to make it plain. If you have questions about it, like, come on up afterwards and ask me about it. If I get too many of the same question, then I'll just maybe report, record a little thing and put it on the podcast feed to explain maybe something I left out. Um, but oftentimes there is a um, sort of a bridge, like a, a separation between um, a lot of the scholarly academic work that's been done on the scriptures in the last 150 years, which is more than has ever been done in human history. Um, but there's, so there's oftentimes a separation between that work being done and the work in the church that's being done of loving people, and sometimes this information doesn't get to these people. Um, one of my things, I believe, one of my jobs, I believe, is just to bring these things together and bring this information to you and respect your minds and let you engage in the Scriptures and take part in the work being done. So um, I'm going to open up this passage. Um, we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about divorce. We're going to talk about suffering. We're going to talk a little bit about current events over the weekend. Talk about that, of course. Um, and uh, let's pray, shall we? Father, Thank you for allowing us to gather here. Thank you for this place. I ask that you would allow us to be present, to be here, to breathe deep, to relax, to receive whatever message you have for us, to be at peace. Um, there are things which are causing us stress. There are things which are terrifying us, things that are weighing upon us um, all individually, all these different things and different matters, different fears. Um, Help us right now to affirm that they exist, that they're here, but to push them aside for a while so that we can focus on deeper understandings of grace and love, um, the spiritual depth of, of your words when you walk to this earth. Um, let us understand like philosophically what all of this means for us and our hearts and, and our interactions with each other. Change us. Make us whole again. Be with those who are suffering. Be with those who are aching. Um, be with those... Um, who are dealing with bad decisions that they've made recently. Deal with, deal with, with all of that. Bring that to our forefront of our mind and help us to look at it differently. Speak through me. Allow me to remember the things I've studied, to communicate clearly. Um, and uh, give us not just knowledge, but wisdom. Thank you. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to start right here in Matthew 5, 31. Um, Jesus has been... Um, he sets this, uh, he sets this conversation up with the phrase, uh, unless your righteousness is, righteousness is higher than that of the Pharisees, scribes and the Pharisees. Um, and he basically talks about how, like, then you're not taking part in the kingdom. You're not taking part in what God is doing. You're not a part of, like, the good thing that God is doing. So then he goes on to define, here's what it looks like when your righteousness is higher than that of the scribes and Pharisees. He talks about murder. He says, um, you hear people say, don't murder. I say, don't even, um, Look at people as less than you. 
and it solves the whole problem and it changes your heart. Look at people as higher than you. Serve them, lift them up. And then he talks about lust and he says, don't look. He says, the law says don't commit adultery. I say don't look at people in this way that degrades them. Don't look, th- look at people for what you can get from them. Um, and then he moves on to this. It's the next logical step and we're going to talk about that. But then he says this. He says, it was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. So this is interesting. For some reason, he starts talking about paperwork. Um, by the way, if you're going to divorce your wife, make sure you fill out the correct paperwork, um, and front and back. Turn it in. We need records of all of it. Um, it, it seems like he's, why is he talking about paperwork? Is that, I'm, I'm not really joking. He literally is talking about paperwork. Um, there is some context to this. Um, to understand the context of this, we need to go Way back in time, here we go, uh, back to the ancient Near East, uh, probably 14, 1800 um, BC, to the wacky world of the patriarchy, um, where we can get an understanding of like, this is how the ancient world worked. Men were in charge, um, particular types of men were in charge of all other people, and they could use people as they wished and then throw them away when they were done. Um, in this ancient world, um, a woman was owned by her father. Uh, and she would be married off to a man, um, usually because he would offer some um, dowry, is it? Like where they give money or like a pig or something, who knows? Um, and, and they would basically buy a wife from a father. So it would usually be an agreement between the men. Um, and the woman, the, the possession of the woman would be passed from her father uh, to this guy, the, her husband now. Um, and the ceremony would happen. And then she would be owned by him. At no point in her life was she her own person. Um, the only way she would be her own person is if she was born living in her, in her father's house and her father dies. Um, then she is free to like be her own person and make her own decisions and receive inheritance, own land, things like this. Um, but in the first century, um, that's the only situation. So it was really bad for women back then. And this was across the board in this yes. The Israelites were part of this system as well. Um, God leads them out of it. One of the first things that God does to lead them out of it um, is the initiation of this new law in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. Um, and let me set the stage for you. In the first century, uh, because these women were owned, I'm sorry, long before the first century, because these women were owned, if a man decided he was just sick of his wife and wanted to just divorce her, he could just divorce her and kick her out. He, all he had to do is, in the witnesses of one or two other people, say, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. Just words, and she's out, and she's done. She can't follow him back home. She has nowhere to stay. She's lost her protection over her head. She's lost her literal protection. Um, in other words, she would be preyed upon by men now. Um, she would have no land, no money, no job. There's only really one job she could do now, which was enter into the world of prostitution. This is the only thing that she, she could do at this point. Um, and in these days, these men were basically um, buying these women as, as wives and using them and abusing them and then throwing them out when they were done. Um, just deciding, all right, I'm done with you. I met someone younger and I don't want to take care of you anymore. You're out. And this is how these men were acting. And so we come to Deuteronomy 24 and we see a law introduced into the people um, of Israel um, in the Mosaic law, that changes things a lot. And it says this, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because she has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, there's the paperwork, and he puts it in her hand, and he sends her out of the house, and she departs out of his house, and it goes on to talk more about um, what her life would be like. Now, 
this certificate of divorce thing is a command um, that the early Israelites received that changed um, the status of the women in their community. Because if a man suddenly decided, I don't like you anymore, I'm done with you, he now was required under Israelite code uh, to write her a certificate of divorce, a formal thing that he could roll up and put in her hand that she could have. So when he kicks her out, by law, he, she had to have this now. And now she could say, um, I'm divorced, he kicked me out, I'm a free woman, um, as if my father has died or something, because her father would never take her back in these days, that's kind of an insult. Um, uh, she left the house, right? And so she's out there and she's got this paperwork. And so now she can work. Um, she can marry again. Um, she can own property. Um, if the circumstances are right, she could even receive inheritance. It's as if she was never married. Um, and so this law was put forth to protect the women in the first century. Now, we look back at it and we say, yeah, but this is incredibly barbaric. Like, we are here on the progress of human rights scale to today, to the ancient Near East. Like, there's a huge difference between today and back then. Um, yes, you're right. And, and people use this as an excuse. This is why I don't go to church. This is why I'm not a Christian. This is why I don't take part in these ancient religions. They're all, read the book. It's barbaric. Um, no, if you read it in the time it was particularly written, it was actually not barbaric. Right now, um, when you look back at it, um, you are looking back at a time when, yes, it was more barbaric than we are now. We have progressed. But back in the time that this law was given, this was a massive step forward. This was a huge work of progress. Um, again, you can't take people from A to Z in like one foul swoop. You, you can't do that. People, the human mind doesn't work that way. Society, communities don't work that way. God changes people slowly over a long period of time, reveals who he is. And, um, and by the time you get to the first century, things look very different. By the way, we are still awakening to God's will for us today. Um, uh, a couple hundred years ago, Christians tended to believe that it was okay to own other people. And, and the awakening has happened. We're like, no, that's wrong. It's always been wrong. Yes, but you didn't see that before. Lots of people saw it, but you wouldn't listen to them. Um, and so we are still being awakened to injustices all around us, and we are changing. Now, um, this brings us back to our passage, because this passage had a big resurgence in the first century in the time that Christ walked the earth, the time that Jesus walked the earth and the apostles walked the earth. There was a huge debate around this passage. Um, one part of it in particular, there's a part right here where it says, um, basically, if a man takes a, takes a wife and marries her, and if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, then he can write her a certificate of divorce and give it to her and she's out. Now, the debate in the first century rose about what it means to find some indecency in her because this thing is raising its head again. Um, now, I've, I've talked about um, the schools of thought in Judaism in the first century before. There's one called Shammai and there's one called Hillel. Hillel would be, in the first century, the more progressive um, view. Um, Sh uh, Shammai would have been the more conservative view in the ancient world. Um, and because they had different ideas on how to interpret scriptures, they interpreted this scripture vastly differently. And in the first century, there was a massive debate that was going on between these two camps about what this means. In other words, a lot of men wanted to know, I mean, can I kick my wife out? That was the question that they had. What if I find someone else I want to marry? Can I just be done with her? Um... And so there were two schools of thought. Um, and basically the way you would, and the reason there's questions is because you would, 
When you read this in the Hebrew, the translation literally means nakedness of a thing. If I find nakedness of a thing, can I divorce my wife? Um, nakedness of a thing is, is not the most like descriptive term. It's just not. And you're like, what does that mean? Well, um, the question of what does that mean was interpreted differently by the two schools. The Shammai school believed that the focus was on the word nakedness. They're like, it's, it's sexual impurity. That's what it's talking about. Uh, a marriage falls apart and divorce is legal when there is sexual immorality in the marriage. And that's how the Shammai uh, camp, the conservative camp, interpreted this. And then there's the progressive camp, and they interpret it as, um, they, they focus on of a thing. So the Hillel camp says, no, 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 it's of a thing. I found nakedness of a thing. What thing? Anything at all. So these were men who wanted to have just be free whenever they decided to be free. Um, they wanted no responsibility to another human being in their lives. After they had their children, they wanted to kick the mother out and marry someone else. Um, and so if you read the book I talked about a few weeks ago called The Mishnah, uh, there's all kinds of rules and guidelines about this. And there's literally a passage in there that talks about how the, the Hillel camp the school of thought of the Hillel students believed that um, if your wife burnt your breakfast, you could divorce her and kick her out. And they were doing this left and right, and they were kicking these women out. Now, of course, they would write them the certificate of divorce and give it to them, which means that they interpreted this passage as, oh, all you have to do is write them a certificate, and they're good. That's it. So again, it, it destroys what God is trying to do. God's trying to bring them forward, and they say, well, there's a loophole. And so they're just writing these divorce papers left and right, giving them to these women. And these women now are being treated as the same women were before. They had no honor. They had no dignity. They had, um, there's nothing else that they could do but again become prostitutes or temple prostitutes in the local temples. This is all that they could do because again, nobody else would take them in. And no other men would marry them because they were looked down at as adulterers. And if a man marries an adulterer, he's an adulterer in his eyes, like in the eyes of God and the law. So here we are. Now, when Jesus brings up, when he says the word divorce, everyone around him would have turned and looked and like, oh man, he's, he's going to give his opinion. Because this was a hot button issue of the day. Every generation has these hot button issues to where like everyone wants to know your opinion on this subject. What's your opinion on this subject? What's your opinion? It, everyone's got opinion on this subject. What is your opinion on this subject? Divorce was the subject of the first century. It was what everybody was talking about. And so Jesus naturally weighs in on it. And here's what he says. He starts off, It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. What camp is Jesus on? He's on the Shammai side. This is fascinating because every other time Jesus weighs in on first century arguments, and he does it a bunch. I've pointed out several of them. He always takes the side of Hillel. Always. But on this instance, he takes the side of Shammai, which is fascinating because, um, because your side can't always be right. There is no side in any issue which is 100% right all of the time. Jesus doesn't fit into your binary camps. I'm sorry. It doesn't work that way. Um, things that are the Jesus way, he's, he points them out and says, yes, this is the right way. 
And on this, I disagree with you. So I'm with you here. We'll go and we'll do this work. But when you go there, I'm going to say, no, I'm not with you there. And you're going to say, what? But you're this and this and this and this. How could you not also be this? And he says, I'm not taking a part of your earthly little systems that you create here. I'm out for love and grace and justice. That's not just. I'm out. That's not gracious. I'm out. That's not loving. I'm out. And so here we are. Jesus weighs in on this passage. Now, um, okay. Now, this isn't the only time Jesus weighs in on this passage. Now that you have the context of the debate and all of that, hopefully you understand, you'll read these other passages and it'll just, the debate will pop out at you. You'll see it. Because Matthew 19, there's these Pharisees that walk up to Jesus and they say this. Uh, it says, some Pharisees came, came to him and to test him, they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause? And you read that and you're like, oh, this is the debate. They're bringing up the debate to Jesus because they want to know where he stands. They want to know what school he's a part of. Is he with them or is he against them? Um, and he answered, I'm going to skip to verse 6 because we've got a long ways to go and there's like a lot of setup. All right. Um, and he answered, um, basically says, they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So again, he takes the side of Shammai and he says, no, marriage is not this Marriage is not this thing where you take somebody and you use them for whatever purpose you have and then you throw them out. It's two people becoming one person. It's not this like legal agreement to share your stuff for as long as you want to share your stuff. It's this thing that is, um, it's like it's worship. It's a picture of God and his people where we pour our lives out for each other. And this thing isn't taken lightly like the rest of you kind of take this thing. You can't just throw someone out when you're done with them. That is not how this works. And he's like rebuking them. All right. Now they have a response and the response is fascinating. They say, uh, it says, they said to him, why then did Moses give us a command to give a certificate of dismissal and divorce to her? Well, then like, why did Moses allow, uh, give us the paperwork anyways? If we weren't supposed to get divorced, why did he put a paper that's entitled, uh, divorce form B to us? <laughs> These forms exist. We have to, we have to use them, right? Officer, my car says 140 miles an hour. Like, I have to use that. <laughs> um, and they said, well, well, I mean, why did Moses give us these papers? And obviously we're supposed to, we can get divorced when we want to. In verse 8, he said to them, it was because you were so hard-hearted that Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for unchastity and unmarries another, commits adultery. He says, in the beginning it was not like this. In the beginning you understood what this was. You understood what marriage was. Um, this grew to a place where um, where all these all these men figured out that they could take advantage of this system that was built. Because there's always people who are going to take advantage of a system. They're gonna they're gonna move into a system and they're gonna say, oh Christianity, let's turn it into this and take advantage of people. Um look, a nation, let's turn it into this and take advantage of people. Look, a philosophical idea, let's move it to this, take advantage of people. Marriage, let's turn it into this and then we can take advantage of people. This is what human beings do. This is what we've done with scriptures. Tons of times. We've all seen it. Um, and he says, in the beginning, it was not like that. In the beginning, it was different. Marriage was this other thing. And he said that and because it w you were so hard-hearted, Moses allowed you to do that. And it wasn't for you. It was to protect these women. So this paper that was made was not to protect you and your rights to, to oppress people. It was for these women helping them in their oppression. Um, Hard-heartedness is used, that phrase is used regularly in scriptures to describe people who lack compassion and empathy. 
um, and who don't care about the suffering of others around them and even take part in it. Um, several times, the Pharaoh is described as having a hardened heart for the people that he has enslaved and not caring about their desire to go free and to be a free people. He's like, I don't care. I benefit from this. this. Keep making me bricks. Nebuchadnezzar is described as having a hard heart. People all through scriptures are described as having a hard heart in the sense that they don't care about the people that they are hurting. They just keep moving forward and benefiting. This is what it means to have a hard heart in a biblical sense. Whereas people who are described in scriptures as having a soft heart, and this is what the gospel does, it softens your heart, they begin to awaken, their eyes begin to open to the people whom they are hurting through their actions, and they begin to change. They begin to look at people in a completely different way. They begin to humble themselves in the sight of God, and letting God lift them up, and lifting other people up. It's all through scriptures. Hard-heartedness um, was their like, sin, and they were oppressing these women. So, and so Moses says, I'm going to do something to protect them. Please use this. And again, they took this gift to these women and used it then to oppress them even more. Um, so if I, want, if I want to help you guys understand how to read these two passages. So we have, we have Matthew 5, 31, 32, Matthew, uh, Matthew 19, 1 through 9. They both tell the same story. This is how you can understand these passages. Um, they are, first off, they are not a guideline for divorce. And I'm sick of people using them that way. It's oppressive to use them this way. You, you don't open up the scriptures to the words of Jesus and say, oh, see, you can't leave him. There's been no sexual infidelity. But he's beating me. Doesn't matter, it says right here. That you can't. People do this. Churches do this. Huge megachurch pastors of massive churches with big famous websites that everyone shares all over the internet read the Bible this way. It's, it's, harmful. It's abusive. That is not how this passage works. This is not a guideline for divorce. What this is, is this is a rebuke. These passages are a rebuke of abusive marriages. It's a rebuke of people, of, of these men in this day, um, and, and by connection, anyone who today would act this way. Um, it's, an abuse, it's, it's a rebuke of people who abuse other people and use them and then throw them out when they're done. And he's standing up for these, for these hurting, abused people. That's what this is. So he's speaking to the divorcers. Um, and, and also, these passages are set in a framework. Matthew 5 especially is set in a framework of, again, righteousness that exceeds the Pharisees. Okay, now, here's how this works. So again, we go from calling someone a fool, the word raka. It's, I'm better than you. I'm higher than you. It's looking down on other people and pushing them down. It's what we've seen over the weekend with white supremacy rallies. Um, that stuff is demonic and satanic. It doesn't belong anywhere around God's people. Um, and anyone who would look at someone else and say, you fool, in any way, which is what was going on there, um, Jesus says, well, now you're kind of in the dangers of hellfire. That's, that's kind of where that goes. That doesn't belong in the kingdom of God. That's not a part of what we're doing. And then it moves forward and says, um, so not, you're not going to look at people this way. You're not going to lust after people this way because when you lust after people, what are you doing? You're saying, I want what I can get from them, and that's it. I'm not really receiving them and who they are. I just want their body. And so he says, you're not going to do this either. And then he moves right into the aspect of talking about divorce and says the same thing that, these, that he says about these two things to people who are divorcing people and says, stop degrading people. All of this, all of this is about degradation of humanity, the whole thing. The Sermon on the Mount is out to stop the degradation of humanity and the degradation of the image of God and other people, which is what was going on 
in the first century. Now, Jesus is not the only one to enter into this conversation in the Bible. Um, in fact, the Apostle Paul enters into this conversation in the Scriptures. Um, Jesus looks at these people first off, before we get to Paul, the final thing I want to say about this is Jesus looks at these people and he says, he says, no, you're not going to treat people this way. You're not going to take these women and use them and abuse them. And when you're done, throw them out because then you're making them an adulterer, a streetwalker. That's what you're doing to them. And you think anyone else is going to marry them and take care of them? No, because if they do, they're considered an adulterer under Israelite law. No one, so these women have no future. That's how this verse should be read. And I could point to 20 or 30 scholars that would back me up on this, well-known scholars, who, who could back me up on that's what that means. And then you come to the writings of Paul, and Paul proves to us that, um, that Jesus is not making laws and guidelines. Um, because if Jesus is making laws and rules and guidelines about how to, whether or not you should get divorced, uh, then Paul is contradicting Jesus. Because Paul, in 1 Corinthians 7, writes this letter to specifically, there's a part of the letter addressed to the people in the church whose spouses in the church are not followers of Jesus, are not Christians at all. Oftentimes in the first century, this would end up in an incredibly abusive, difficult, harmful, not peaceful relationship because their worldviews are vastly different because the Christians were the only people doing the kinds of things that they were doing and their spouses would never go along with sitting and eating with slaves and and just the lowest of the low, and giving your stuff away, giving your money, sharing your table with these people, um, non-followers of Christ would never go along with this at all. Um, so Paul writes to them and he says, if any believer has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. And if any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. First off, interesting thing of note that I can't just pass right by, Paul addresses both sides. He addresses men and women equally. Nobody did this in the first century. You will not find ancient letters written to groups of people specifically addressing women at all. Um, and he writes to them and he says, look, um, he even affirms that like, like sort of like you have a right to divorce under abusive situations. He kind of says, um, he kind of affirms that like you have that right now in the church, which is unheard of. Um, and then, so he says, so if, if it's not, the marriage isn't falling apart, if you still love each other and you can work these things out, then stay married. He even goes on to say, they may become a follower of Christ. Um, so s- stick it out if you can. Like if, if the marriage is working, work through these problems. And then he says, but if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such a case, the brother or sister is not bound. It is to peace that God has called you. And so he says, look, but if they divorce you, um, if, if they want to separate, then let it be so. You are unbound, you are free, it's as, it's as if you were not married, because God is calling you to peace. Now, hold on, that's not adultery. That's not what Jesus said. But it's okay because Jesus wasn't making laws and guidelines. He was rebuking oppressive people. Um... That's exactly, that, that's all that Jesus was doing. Um, all of this, Paul says, is about finding peace. That's like the tag on the end. He says, look, if it's not, if it's not going to work out, if your differences, your worldviews are too far different to where it's straining and you're warring and you're fighting, um, then, then you are released. 
because it is to peace that God has called you. So Paul says, um, Paul allows divorce um, so that people can find peace. Because people who have been through a divorce are not at peace. People don't divorce because they're, they're doing okay. It doesn't, that's not how it works. The vast majority of people who, who divorce their spouse do so because they are suffering, because they're lonely, they're ignored, they're abused, they're mistreated, they're uncared for. There's all kinds of things that they are suffering from and all kinds of reasons this thing cannot continue to go forward. It is not a picture of God and his bride at all. Divorce is difficult, it's painful, it's hard. The vast majority of us have never been through divorce, yet we try to stand on the outside and judge people whether or not they're allowed to do what they're going to do. And we open the Bible and we say, look what Jesus says, you're in violation of Jesus, yet we don't understand that they're suffering and they're in pain and they're hurting. There's lots of reasons why divorce happens, and it's not always what you may think. Did you know that if a couple um, loses a child they are 80% likely to get divorced. If, a, if they have a child together and that child dies, only 20% of relationships survive that. Divorce is not about what you think it's about. Oftentimes, um, there are things buried deep that you will never know about. You are called to be gracious and to help these people find peace, not to stand at a distance and point to the scriptures and point to them and say and, and condemn them. You're just perpetuating the abuse that they've been through. That's all you're doing. There's, a, there's a, a quote by Gregory Boyd, and it goes like this. Love isn't one of the attributes of God. There's not like a whole bunch of attributes that God has, and like one of them's love, but another one's like retribution and anger and all these things. He says, no, love is the essence of all of the attributes of God. Love is the center thing. Sometimes when you're reading the scriptures and, and, and you read this thing and you're like, well, that that doesn't make a lot of sense. That sounds really harsh and brutal. That is not a hint that you should run from that passage. That is a sign that you should dive into that passage, that maybe you should take a class on that passage, or you should ask some well-informed people about the scriptures that, that know how to, how to work your way through this passage. It's part of community. It's part of church. What we're doing here, educating each other, the parts and bits and pieces that we know about the scriptures. And we're all building each other up together. Um, but the central attribute, the base note from which Jesus is speaking every word from is love. Love, love, love. Now, this is also supposed to be what your marriage, the base note of marriage is. The base note of marriage is supposed to be love. But in some marriages, there is one person whose uh, the essence of their actions is not love. Um, sometimes, um, sometimes it's like control. And sometimes it's, it's, um, it's bitterness. Sometimes it's like revenge against something that happened in their past. Sometimes there's, a, there's an essence of all the attributes that they're bringing to this relationship. And it's, it's, um, it's fear or it's jealousy. And that is the central thing. Or it's psychosis. It could be anything. There's mental um, problems that arise sometimes in human beings. But a marriage is supposed to be the essence of every action that you, you, that you, that you do in marriage is supposed to be the essence of that is supposed to be love. Um, so real quick, let me summarize these passages and let you understand how to read them for future reference. Um, when you're reading about Jesus talking about divorce, Jesus is always talking to the abusers in a relationship. That's who Jesus is talking to. He's scolding them and rebuking them. 
Whenever you see Paul, you're almost always talking about divorce. Paul is ta- walking. Paul is talking to the abused in a relationship. He's talking to the abused um, and saying, no, you're not called to suffering like that. You're called to peace. If you're going to suffer, it's going to be for the gospel, not because this guy thinks he can control you and hits you every day. That is not God's plan for you. If you are, if you are here today, I, w- I want to speak to those who are married in an ab- abusive relationship. God did not call you to that. He is not calling you to every day be abused by this person. I know there are Christians online and in real life who are getting in your face and saying, sorry, you're stuck. They don't understand Jesus or the gospel or, or how to read the Bible. They're misinformed, they're ignorant, and they're wrong, and they're lying to you. They're actually hurting you. Run from them. Be free. Get help. Call the authorities. Call your church. Call everyone you can that can be there to help you through and be free from what you're doing because God has called you to peace. Um, if you are someone who has been divorced in the past and there are people out there telling you, I'm sorry, you are banished now that you're divorced for whatever reason. If they left you, whatever, um, you are banished to now for the rest of your life just being alone. They are lying to you. They don't understand how to read the scriptures and they're ignorant. Don't let them have authority in your life. There are people in this church who have suffered... Um, like women in our church who have been divorced and then they meet other men who come here and they go out on dates and the man finds out, oh, you're divorced? Oh, I'm sorry, this will never work out. I have biblical convictions that I can't love you. I, 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 this could never go anywhere. And it's actually wrong of me. I'm not going to make myself um, an adulterer like you. And they, and they abuse these women all over again. I have no patience for that. That's not how you use the scriptures and you're wrong. And that can't happen here. Sorry. Um, if you are a person who is married and the central essence of your actions is not love, if your every action towards your spouse is not dictated by a base note of love, you need to repent. You need to change. You are in violation of the gospel. You don't understand um, how deep of a hurt this causes people and the world. You are actively bringing sin into the world and waging war against the kingdom of God, which is trying to be established here in this world. Everything that you do towards your spouse, every action, every feeling, every thought should be centered on love. If there's something else, if there's fear or jealousy, you need to get help. You need counseling. Um, you need direction. You need guidance. Um, don't let that grow. And if you are here and you've been hurt by the church because you've been through a divorce, I want to tell you I'm sorry. I want to tell you that's, that was never the intention that God had for his people. People will always, human beings will always take a system and use it to oppress other people. It has been done by the church. And when we see it, we should throw our arms up and say, I'm so sorry, I repent. There is grace for you. And if you are divorced and you meet somebody who loves you the way God loves his church, who will lay down their life for you, who every action towards you is centered upon love and filling you up and lifting you up and bringing the most beauty possible out in you, if you find this person and you are divorced, marry them. You are free. You are free to marry them. There is no right reading of scriptures that condemns you the way some Christians have. They are wrong. You are free, so be free. 
I think the best way to end this, obviously, is communion. We're going to do that anyway every week. But um, communion is the symbol of how this works. We, we allow our lives to be broken and poured out for other people. We say, I love you, and here's how that works. And we are broken, and we are poured out, and we fill these people up. Your life, um, when you bind yourself to another person, this is what you do. And if both sides are taking part in this, even if one side is, is really taking part in this as well as they can, it tends to bring out the best in the other person. Because as you love people, you know what happens? They become lovable. They grow. They flourish. They blossom. It's beautiful. And so our communion servers, go ahead and take the communion elements, if you would, if you'd step back and grab them and spread around the room. Communion is that picture. It's, it's, uh, it's the picture of um, how healing is brought into the world. It's the great picture of the union of, of God and people. It's the, the great picture of, of the God of the universe in full power, able to wield that power however he wants. And what he does is allows himself to be broken and poured out for you and for me. So when you picture God... And you tend to picture God as this all-powerful smiter. Um, the whole point of Jesus is so that when you picture God, you'd picture him on the cross, suffering under the weight of your sins, pouring himself out for you. That's how we picture God. And so our communion servers are going to come, and they're going to spread out around the room, take some time. If you need to repent, if you need to confess some things to some people, um, do that. Find, turn to your right or to your left. Find a follower of Jesus. Find a Christian. We are in the scriptures called the priesthood of the saints, meaning we can hear your confession and say you are forgiven in the name of Jesus because of what he has done, not because of anything I have done. But we can speak the voice of Jesus into these people. We are the body of Christ and say your sins have been forgiven because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Change. Don't do this anymore. Let's repent together. Let's get help. And let's drag each other towards our own sanctification. Can we? Um, and so let's pray and let's take communion. The body of Christ poured out for you, the blood of Christ spilled for you. Father, thank you. Fill us, change us. Reveal to us how we've wielded the sword of the Lord, the, the word of God in these, in these ways that oppress people when it was meant to set us free. We ask for your healing. We ask for the path of healing to be laid out before us. Let us walk it. Let us repent. Let us expose our sins to each other so that we can uh, find our way through them. Thank you, God. In your name, amen. Take some time. Talk to Jesus.